Well, good morning again, Lindsley Avenue. I appreciate the opportunity to share a few thoughts with you again this morning. I want to continue on a topic that really has been part of the theme of the last several weeks of lessons. Last week, we discussed the heart of a servant. And so this week, I want to continue talking about serving others. And if you notice here on the title slide, really, I think a, a very thematic statement from Scripture about serving others from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Remember again, as each has received a gift, we've all been given a gift. One of our responsibilities is to identify what gift we have been given, and then we need to use it because otherwise we're not being a good steward of the gift God has given us. Remember the parable of the talents. The one that the master was very upset with was the one that made no use of the gift that had been given. And if you're using a gift to serve, use it by the strength that God gives us. Any service that we do is only through the power and the strength of God so that in whatever we do, whatever, however we're using our gift, whatever we do, we are glorifying God through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful theme statement from Scripture about serving others. This morning I want to talk about the idea of God's craftsmanship. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. A verse that we often come to about we are saved uh, by, uh, through grace, grace through faith. But look at also what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Look at the next statement. You're not saved as a result of work so that no one may boast. However, look. For we are His, God's, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul is saying we are God's craftsmanship, His workmanship. We are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of our own doing. It has nothing to do there with salvation in terms of good works, not at all. But we are created for the purpose. Our design, if you will, is to be involved in good works so that we would walk in them. So let's take a closer look at that. What does God's craftsmanship look like? What does craftsmanship, period, look like? Does it look like this? I'll back up. Now, if you saw that in a shower, I suspect you would think that's not at all what you need. I mean, that's a garden hose head put on some sort of, of a, a water tube there for the shower held. No. If somebody did that to repair your shower, you'd be calling them back saying, this is not what I wanted, not at all. So that's certainly not a sign of craftsmanship. Or this, when you look at that clock, part of the clock is missing, so somebody has drawn in on a piece of paper and taped it to the clock where it was missing pieces. If that's the clock that you've got, that's not a very good set of craftsmanship. You would not look at that and say that's very good workmanship. Or this, someone has a light switch and if you look very closely, it didn't quite fit. So they've cut out a corner of the faceplate for that light switch. Or this, you know, this, this certainly might swing, but that's not at all what you would suspect you would receive if you wanted a swing put up. I mean, a skateboard 
on two ropes? No, no, that's not good craftsmanship either. So if that's what bad craftsmanship would look like, sometimes that's what we get when we are attempting to do something, flip the switch. What does God's craftsmanship look like? How does God show his workmanship, his craftsmanship? Well, he shows his craftsmanship in creation. Think of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, his craftsmanship, his workmanship. He shows his craftsmanship as well in creating us. Another statement from Psalm, Psalm 139, 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God shows his craftsmanship as well in our salvation. Ephesians 2.10, as we just read a moment ago, for we are his workmanship, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So at least in three separate avenues, God shows his craftsmanship in creation, in creating us, and in our salvation. So when you think about create, uh, his, his statement of the heavens declare the glory of God, his craftsmanship in creation, the beauty of the sky above, the structure inherent in the design of the solar system, our galaxy and the universe all show detailed handiwork and design. In fact, one of the strongest arguments for the existence of God is the argument from design. Design is so present in the universe that even when someone who is writing from a perspective of an unbeliever, they find it very difficult to write about the world around us and the universe without the language of design. Why? Because it is just so present throughout all of what we see around us. What type of craftsman is God? One who shows great attention to detail. One whose work is ongoing and never stops. Think of the universe, a picture there of the Andromeda galaxy, some two and a half million light years away, floating through space, if you will, and intense design, intense, very strong attention to detail in the sky above. Closer to home, the design shown in the earth and the structure and design of the earth and the moon hanging there over it. You also have his craftsmanship shown in creating us, as we read a moment ago, Psalm 139:14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. The beautiful way in which our body works, with all of its interacting parts, is astounding. Think about it for a moment. Repair systems, energy generation systems, garbage disposal systems is one way of putting it reproductive systems, information processing systems, and more, all contained within us and all which work so amazingly well to such an incredible degree. The most complicated machine known to exist in the universe, and we all have one. We all have one. We've all been given this incredible machine that works so well day in and day out. Here is a picture of uh, showing some of the, the different systems, the circulatory system shown. I mean, it's just incredible, for example, that we have a, a stomach, a digestive system, that can take all sorts of things thrown at it, from jalapeno nachos to who knows what, 
and it can handle all that and still get the nutrients out of it that allow us to uh, have energy to do the things that we want to do. Your stomach has acids in it that are so strong it can digest a penny. Please do not put that to the test. This is one of those things on television. Do not try this at home. But if you take the acid in the stomach and put it into a container and drop a penny in it, it will eventually dissolve the penny. And yet, most of the time, our acid in our stomach does not dissolve the entire stomach. How can it dissolve a penny and yet not dissolve the stomach itself? Because of the system that has been created to refresh the lining of the stomach. In fact, it is rare when someone has an ulcer, which is a hole eaten into the stomach where the acid starts irritating the, uh, the digestive system because we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. What an amazing machine we have all been given, God's craftsmanship, his workmanship. He also shows his craftsmanship in our salvation. Ephesians 2.10 that we read a moment ago, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In the same way as new creations, someone who has died to self and been raised to walk in newness of life, a new creation, we have that song, you know, buried with Christ, my blessed Redeemer, we are a new creation, a new creation. As a member of God's family, brothers and sisters, we are the work of God, created for a purpose. As we notice up here, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That happens when we are born again, when we are buried in water and raised to walk in newness of life with a purpose given to us. What purpose? Created for good works. And as the heavens are always operating and as our bodies are always repairing, converting, and working, so our purpose should be happening all the time time. Really and truly, it was said to me just recently, Christians should never ask, well, why am I here? What's my responsibility with what I see? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a member of God's family, you and I have been created for the purpose of good works, which God created beforehand that we should live and walk in them. Our purpose is to be involved in good works. Look at the full context there of Ephesians 2. For by grace have you, have you been saved through faith, and this is not your, do, your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Can't be boasting, I visited a million sick people. God's letting me in because of what I did. Not at all. Not at all. It is a gift of God. It is grace through faith, not of works. Yet... We are the work of God. We are the workmanship of God. We are an expression of God's craftsmanship designed and created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. When did he prepare them? Certainly before we became a member of God's family. The implication here is the design for us to be people doing good works was a purpose of God before the creation of the world. Not only did God plan ahead before the world was ever created, before anyone ever existed, to have a plan to save us, to have the man who saved us, his son who became flesh and dwelt among us, but he also had the plan that once we became 
members of his family, once we were reconciled to God, we would be living in good works. Our purpose, our walk, our daily life would be to be involved in good works. We were created in order to do these good works that we should walk in them. Our day-to-day -day lives are to be spent doing good things. Not in any way to earn salvation, not in any way to work our way to heaven, not in any way to bring any kind of glory to ourselves. Not at all. But to glorify God, remember the statement from 1 Peter chapter 4, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that in everything, since we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, as we walk in them, as we live in good works, as we seek and look for things to do to help other people to do good works, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and the work that he did which reconciled us to God. That is our purpose. That is why we have been created again, born again as members of God's family. That is the expression of our lives that is to come as objects of God's craftsmanship, God's workmanship. Do you remember the clock on the wall where half of it was missing? Do you remember the light switch that had the notch removed so that it would fit? Do you remember those expressions of poor craftsmanship? If a Christian is showing signs of poor craftsmanship, it has nothing to do with God. It has to do with whether we are, in fact, living as we're supposed to be living, in good works. The fault in any craftsmanship that it seems to be there is because we are truly not living for God. We think we died to self. Maybe we did at some point. But we've turned back to our old ways. We have turned back to living for ourselves instead of having our focus on living for God and serving other people. So what does your life look like? How well are we following in these footsteps, as Paul talked about here, in terms of living in these good works as beautiful objects of the craftsmanship, the workmanship of God? We reflect upon God every time we are doing something good and every time we avoid doing some good work. God should be glorified in everything that we do. So we always want to ask ourselves, how am I doing? How does my life look in terms of reflecting glory on God or am I involved in doing good things so that it reflects upon me? A very, very important passage right here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which is so nice and broad, so that we can glorify God in everything that we do in works of service. In everything, God may be glorified. I want to spend a little bit of time as well talking about another specific avenue of service. We've talked about a couple of them. We talked about praying for other people, and we talked about helping the sick. And there are so many ways, even in a pandemic, where we can pray for people and we can help people who are sick. You can do that remotely. You can actually order food and have it delivered to somebody's house who is sick. That is certainly helping, help take, helping to take care of the sick. I want to focus on one aspect of serving other people 
that many times doesn't get talked about because there's the fear that, well, they're, they're, they're hunting for more money. Lindsley Avenue is not asking me to talk about giving more, but that is a wonderful way to serve other people. So I want to look at what the New Testament says about our generosity and how it is so important to help the work of God and to be involved in good work. So please, give me just a few more minutes to talk about giving and how that impacts serving other people. Another way to serve others is by giving. Look at Proverbs 11.25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters himself will be watered. We need to bring blessings to other people, and we do that many times. The idea here is by sharing what we have, sharing our monetary resources. The American Standard Version says, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered also himself. If you water plants, if you water other people by helping them, if you share what you have, things will be shared with you. So there's an incremental personal benefit, but that's really not the object at all. We should be sharing what we have, much of which is going to be potentially monetary in nature. The one who gives will receive. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. And remember, they were not allowed to be charging interest, so it really is giving and helping. To be paid back when possible, but... You don't work that out ahead of time. If there's a need, you give. If one of your brothers should become poor, are there any poor people in Nashville? Yes, there are. And so we should not harden our heart or shut our hand against your poor brother, our poor neighbor, but we should open our hand and lend sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, it continues on, take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cried to the Lord against you and you shall be guilty of sin. What's he talking about? Well, in this seventh year, the year of release, debts would be forgiven. So if that's coming about in a week and you lend to your brother the Odds of getting repaid may be rather slim. Again, you're not getting repaid with interest in this situation, but you know, he says, you know, don't do it thinking, well, if I can just wait a little while, I can lend next year, and then I'll get probably paid back because there's plenty of time to get paid back. God says, don't do it. Because if your brother is in need and you have that evil heart and your eye looks very grudgingly, very disdainfully at your brother thinking, I'm not going to help you right now, Look what he says, you will be guilty of sin. The implication here is when you see the need, you give, period. Period. When you see the need, you give. Continuing on, you shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake for there will never cease to be poor in the land and that continues today. There will never cease to be poor in the land. 
Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and the poor in your land. That needs to be heard in America today. It's so easy to become callous to the fairly small but existing group of people who are having hard times. And we can think our circumstances are all nice and fine. And wherever we may live, maybe we don't see a whole lot of poor people every day. But we have people among us who are in need. And we cannot, we cannot grow cold in our hearts and not give to help those who are in need. God said, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Something we need to hear today. Continuing on, Acts 20, verse 35. Paul here is, is winding down what's recorded of his statement to the elders of Ephesus when he's in Miletus, the last time apparently he sees them. He says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is one of those statements that is not recorded elsewhere in the Bible, but this is the last thing recorded that Paul tells the elders before he leaves them. Please remember, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He told them a lot of things, but one of the closing thoughts he wants to leave with them is be generous. Help other people be generous. Be, be generous. We need to hear that as well. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9, Paul says to the people in Corinth, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. How am I sowing? How well do I sow? Do I look at what I have in my hand and think, I really don't want to part with that. If we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. How I sow is how I'm going to reap. Luke 6, verse 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. How we give, how we treat people is how we're going to receive and how we will be treated. Always need to remember that. How well do we fill up God's coffers with our gifts, with our offerings? 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. Look at that for a moment. They had an abundant amount of joy, but deep poverty. Usually it's kind of, you know, you think an abundance of, not poverty, but abundance of physical blessings. Their abundance was of joy, and in their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord out of their deep poverty. So what are we talking about here? In the New Testament, poverty and Christianity are very closely connected. Blessed are the poor, Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 20, James speaks of God choosing the poor in this world to be rich in the faith in James 2.5. In the Greek, there are two words for poverty. There's one word, pina, 
that describes the state of the one who is not wealthy, who has to satisfy his needs, has to work with his own hands, has to earn his own living. Penia, sometimes that shows up in medical terms. Neutropenia, leukopenia, uh, relating to some blood disorders. Penia means poor. There's not enough of something. Penia, there's not enough of something. Tokea describes complete destitution. There is nothing. Penia says there's not enough of something. This word describes there is nothing. So Pina describes the state of the one who has nothing extra. They're, they're living hand to mouth. They have nothing extra. Tokea describes the state of the one that has nothing at all. Which word do you think is describing the individuals here when it says their deep poverty in 2 Corinthians 8? It's Tokea. He's saying out of their deep poverty where they really had nothing, they had nothing, they gave beyond their ability to help the people in Corinth. They gave out of their deep poverty where they had nothing at all. According to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. It is possible to be generous even if it seems as if we have nothing. Deep poverty, but they overflowed in their giving, the people of Macedonia. How were they able to do this? How were they able to give so much from so little? Look at what he says. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They had first given themselves to God and that allowed them to give beyond their ability. The only way truly to give and to help other people is to first give yourself to God. It is only when we are focused on God, when we are focused on the hereafter, that we really have the freedom to help in the here and now. I think we could learn a lot from the Christians in Macedonia. So your assignment, should you choose to accept it, I always think of Mission Impossible or something like that with the tape playing. That shows, dates me a little bit. But your assignment, should you choose to accept it, give more. This week, next week, you know, and the week after. Make it a habit to give a little bit more, if at all possible, each week. Now, how much is up to you? I'm not, nobody's pushing. I'm not pushing. I would never push for how much more. But if I'm giving X, maybe I can give slightly more than X. You know, that's what they tell you in retirement planning. Give a certain amount and then slowly increase it every year. Well, don't wait for the next year. Find a way, if possible, simply to give a little bit more. Maybe change the last digit in whatever you're giving. Add one to it every week if you have to. Every little amount is going to help. Remember the people in Macedonia. Out of their deep poverty, they gave beyond. God can use anything we are more than willing to share. So that's my challenge to you. It's going to be a challenge to me. Give more. There's always things to do, always people to help. Give more. But first, give yourself to God. That's the only way the people in Macedonia, the only way the brothers and sisters in Macedonia were able to do it. They gave themselves to God first. So please, give yourself to God. 
If you're not yet a member of God's family, you must do that. You must give yourself to God. Give yourself to God and then you can give what you have to help other people. So pray to God this week, please, to find a way to be more selfless and more Christ-like. Pray that we will have the proper view of money and all the things God has given to us. And then, if at all possible, give more because there will be plenty, there's always plenty to do. Give more, but give yourself to God first. Realize that we are God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, but it requires being in Jesus first. So again, if you're not yet a member of God's family, you need to realize that you are living in a state of sin, just as I once was, and that there is no hope unless you recognize your sin and you turn to God to ask for forgiveness through the death of Jesus, repent of what you've been doing, turn and walk toward God, confess your sin, be buried in baptism to be raised to walk in newness of life. Requires being in Christ Jesus in order to be God's craftsmanship. So are you in Jesus today? If not, please, please reach out to someone. We'll all be glad to help. Give more. Give yourself to God first. We gather together on the first day of the week to remember the death of Jesus, the reason we are here, that even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. That was you and me. Because of that death, because of the forgiveness that comes from the blood of Jesus, we have the opportunity to walk in newness of life. And we gather every Sunday morning. People are gathering around the world, as Jesus said, to do what we're about to do in his memory. We're going to be partaking of the bread that represents his body which was given for us and to let us examine ourselves to see that we are truly focused on living for God and living to help other people. So I would ask if you would that you pray with me as we partake of the bread. Father, we praise your name. We are so thankful and grateful for all that you give to us including the gift of your son who lived and then died so that we would be able to live with you. We ask that we would remember that sacrifice of Jesus, we would focus on the sacrifice of Jesus as we partake of this bread representing his body, and that we would rededicate ourselves this next week to live our lives for you so that people, when they see us, would see your son walking in us. Again, Father, thank you for that sacrifice of your son. It is through his name we pray. Amen. The disciples in the first century also gathered on the first day of the week around the cup, the fruit of the vine, to remember that Jesus' blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we continue that today around the world. People are also gathering around the cup containing the fruit of the vine 
to remember the death of Jesus and the blood that he shed for us and for our forgiveness. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again, we thank you for the gift of your son hanging on the cross and dying and shedding his blood so that we might have forgiveness for the sins that we have committed through that blood. As we partake of this cup, we would ask that we remember the sacrifice that he made and that we sacrifice living for ourselves so that we would be able to turn our lives into a light and to live for you. Thank you again for the sacrifice of Jesus. Through his name we pray. Amen. Not actually part of the Lord's Supper that we just uh, uh, went through, but this is a convenient time to remember the blessings that we have been given, and as we have purposed in our hearts to give, we usually do that collectively, but since we are still apart virtually, whatever way you have arranged to make your offering to give as you have been prospered, please continue to do that. But let us uh, give thanks to God for the blessings that we have as we purpose for our uh, gift to God. Pray with me, please. Father, you have blessed us so much, and we are so thankful for uh, the country we live in and the family and friends that we have. We would ask that you help us not to grow attached to these blessings that we have been given, but that we see what we have and we have our hearts open to help other people who are in need, who are hurting. And we will do that through our gifts, through our offerings, because it is always going to be more blessed to give than to receive. Help us to be cheerful givers. Again, thank you so much for the blessings that we have. Through your Son we pray. Amen.